0: Welcome to SALT. Uh, My name is Ryan. I get to preach the Bible sometimes. I get to work here. It's the best job in the world. I love doing this. I love hanging out with you guys and doing life with college students at the University of Iowa. Um, But this welcome tonight is a little... Special. I don't really just want it to broadly sweep across the room like we do every week. Of hey, welcome to Salt Company, everybody. Whoa, hype train is here. Hope you have a good time. I kind of want to say a very specific welcome to a very specific person tonight. And I want to say welcome to the person who is coming here and they're just a little bit more burdened than normal. Okay, like I want to say welcome tonight to the person who struggles. Who really feels the weight of their flaws in life right now, who doesn't seem to have this whole Christianity thing down pat yet, um, I want to say welcome to you, okay? So no matter why you find yourself here tonight, whether you've been coming a long time, you got dragged by a friend, you got tricked, whatever it is, no matter what your expectation even of church is or what church should be, I want you to hear this as we get started, that the real imperfect and messed up version of yourself is welcome here tonight, okay? Why? Well, I know Jesus. A lot of us know Jesus. And it seems that these broken people are the exact people that Jesus loved to be around when he was on earth. Right? Trust me, Jesus hated sin more than any of us in the room ever could. That is for sure. He hated sin so much, but we cannot mistake this still, that Jesus loved welcoming sinners. That he loved healing broken people who knew that they were broken. Isn't that cool? Like what God is like that? And in fact, the people he didn't seem to welcome as warmly were hypocrites, right? (laughs) Like religious people who would maybe say one thing and act another. Who would act like they have all their stuff together, that their life was flawless, so they were better than others, but they were actually hypocritical. He said things like Matthew 15, 7 and 8, said, You hypocrites, you say something with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. That's chilling, isn't it? In contrast, that with what he says in Mark 2:17, that I didn't come just to call the healthy. I came to call the sick. And so, Salt Company tonight, we set our aim. At actually being like Jesus, this is a place for sinners tonight. Amen? It's good stuff. We cannot carry that foul smell of hypocrisy that says that we, especially myself, that I am without sin, that I am without brokenness tonight. We actually need to be real. We need to take Jesus up on his offer to come to him just as we are. Because when the real us shows up, Guys, I genuinely believe that we can meet the real Jesus. And sometimes, as we're kind of jumping into the book of Psalms, okay, poetry, sometimes art has a unique way of cutting through our defenses that we put up in our souls, right? Like we build these walls that no straight words will ever get through. But there's something about art that resonates with us a little bit, like songs, poetry. I oh my gosh, I was just going to read something from my phone and I realized I left it on my chair. That's hilarious. It doesn't matter. We're just going to move on from that. Sweet. Uh, Didn't want to be distracted by my phone. That's what I get for it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Art has a great way of getting past the defenses, right? I'm going to be honest. I was going to quote Olivia Rodrigo Rodrigo, and like talk about how amazing it is that millions and millions and millions of listens on Spotify are people like relating with her song Driver's License because like, oh my gosh, I used to drive through the suburbs. Oh my gosh, I'm mad at that older blonde girl or whatever she says. That's what I was gonna say, but forgot my phone, so I can't say it. Um, there's something super appealing about art, entering into somebody else's art, especially when it resonates with us, right? Like they write something from their own experience, but it has like this transcendent magical ability just like boom, hit us right in the heart too. It's cool. And we're going to experience that a lot in this short study we're doing on the Psalms, and much better than Olivia Rodrigo, even though she has a generational talent, for sure. Um, tonight's Psalm, guys, Psalm 51, I think will resonate with everybody. Like, I think it's actually going to be magical and piercing in a way that, if I'm going to be honest, look at me real quick. It might not be fun, okay? <laughs> we have a lot of fun. I know we talk a lot about it. This might not be fun the entire time, but... I promise you that if we take these words seriously and we actually listen to these, these lyrics, if you will, like wash over us, um, we will end up leaving here with more joy than when we came in, okay? And so we're going to read Psalm 51. I'm going to read the entire thing straight through, and it will be on the screen for us in the CSB. So if you open your Bibles right in the middle, just put your thumb right in the middle, open it up, you might actually hit Psalm 51. So here we go. This is what Psalm 51, this is what David says. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be sacrificed on your altar. Guys, Psalm 51 is very, very appealing to some of us. Psalm 51 really, really resonates with some of us because we might be bursting at the seams tonight needing to confess some sin. This song, guys, is our cure for hypocrisy. It's our weapon against sin. It's our giant arrow pointing to true joy. So if you need that silver bullet to kill hypocrisy tonight, here it is. Our silver bullet against hypocrisy is this. Confession. That's what this whole psalm is a confession. And we're going to kind of see this three parts of the confession with David from Psalm 51. The first one, guys, the, the confession that we are going to say back with him as we read this psalm for ourselves and apply it to our own lives. It's very simple I have sinned. I have sinned. Okay, why does David write a psalm? confessing that. Why does David, the king of Israel, have to say, I have sinned? Well, if you know anything about David, he has a tremendous life. He's very, very cool. One of the heroes of the Bible, for sure. A lot of you are named after him. It's very cool. David had done a lot of cool things. He was a very talented musician who really enjoyed nature. He was an outdoorsman, but he was rugged in the fact that he killed bears and lions when he was protecting his flock. That's not your average Joe. That's pretty sweet. David was a warrior poet. David, even as a young man, probably early teens, was enlisted to help out with an army. Not necessarily to fight, but just to be there in case something happened, right? And then David heard something. And you know the story. He heard a giant mocking the God of Israel, his God. And so he went out. Long story short, He smoked that giant right between the eyes. Knocked him dead, cut off his head and said, this is for the God of Israel so that all the nations will know that he is God. David was the man. David eventually became king. Even before he became king, he was known for winning battles and he was even known for showing mercy. It seemed like there was nothing that this guy could not do. He got married Some people are even saying, this guy might be the one we've been waiting for. The one to deliver Israel all the way. The anointed one, the Messiah. Could this actually be him? But then something happened. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes success can kind of breed mm, slothfulness. Sometimes when you're on top of the world, you are actually more vulnerable than ever before for the wickedness of sin. I think maybe that happened with David here, because he's up on his roof hanging out, and he sees something on another roof, and you know what it is. He sees a naked woman, a woman that I'm pretty sure he had to have known, because this woman was married to one of the men in his army, a really good friend named Uriah. And I don't know if this is the first time David saw her, or if he kind of kept coming back again and again, looking a little bit longer each time she was on the roof, But eventually something snapped, and he said, I want her. And he took her. And he slept with her. And soon came to find out that she was pregnant, this woman named Bathsheba. And this was a huge problem for the king. If anybody found out about this, his reputation was gone, man. All the good things, all the songs sung about David's exploits, would they all become nothing now? All the reputation he had built, all the honor that he got from people, this could be the end. He had to hide it. He had to. And so he tries to get Uriah, his friend, to sleep with his wife, his own wife. But Uriah was a man of honor and said, no, I will not enjoy my wife while all my brothers are on the battlefield. So he sleeps at David's door and you're like, what in the world? I can't get rid of this guy. I can't trick this man. His honor is just really, really grinding my gears here. And so David gets a better idea. He sends him into battle. But he doesn't just send him into battle. He sends him to the front lines. He sends him to a certain death knowing that when he is gone, he can make Bathsheba and his relationship look like nothing was ever wrong. This could be his legitimate child. No harm, no foul, no loss of face. And so he carries on. Uriah dies And David continues in his sin. And then God anoints a prophet. If you kind of back up and you look right before verse one, you see kind of in like the, like right below the title in your Bibles, most of yours will say something like this. It's when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Busted. This dude knew everything. Maybe it was obvious. (laughs) Maybe God told him. But David's sin was on the table and he was caught red handed. The king, the one who's supposed to represent God to his people, had been plainly exposed. The man after God's own heart. What an amazing title to have. Caught red handed in betrayal, adultery, and murder. And how does he respond to his vices being brought to the table? Right? When the light is shown, Does he scurry away like a cockroach? No. He actually calls his sin exactly what it is. Verse 1, he calls it rebellion. Verse 2, he calls it guilt and sin. Verse 3, again, rebellion and sin. Verse 4, he just stamps it for what it is and calls it evil. And it all deserves judgment. He searches his vocabulary for every word that he can remember to describe this evil. And not only that, but he takes full, unshared responsibility for what he has done. He doesn't blame the woman naked on the roof. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame the devil trying to trick him. He takes it all on himself. Why does he do this? Is it another kind of like acrobatic way to save face and to be impressive? I don't think so. Verse 4, if you look at it, it gives incredible insight. What does he say? In his confession to God, he says, Against you, God, you alone have I sinned. How can he say that when he had one of his friends murdered and he stole his wife? Because David sees that he has sinned. He sees that his sin goes beyond just like simple public embarrassment for this reason because he knows that the reproach of men, the loss of reputation is nothing compared to this horror coming naked before the judge of the world, guilty short of his perfect standard. David had very clear eyes in this moment. His genuine confession of sin is actually genuine because he has a genuinely high view of God. That's genuine. Like he sees sin rightly because he sees God rightly. When you have a right view of God and only when you have a right view of God is when you have a right view of how wicked sin is. And your fear of losing your reputation just melts in the light of your judge's correct and honest sentencing for what you have done. That's David's experience. David is broken. Have you ever been broken over the sin of this world, guys? Have you ever made, I don't know, maybe you're like watching the news or something or you're like scrolling through the news on your phone and you just see like the wickedness in the world. You see people being murdered and raped and kidnapped and just like the grossest things you've ever seen and your stomach almost feels sick and you're like, this, this is objectively wrong. Like there's something objectively broken with this world. Has that ever happened to you? Has that out there stuff ever come into your own home? Have you grown up with broken families or friends with broken families and you've just seen things that you know? You look at, I say, you know, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is wrong. I don't care what anybody says. I know this hurts. Has that entered your house? Have people come to you to confess sin in your own home and told you about the horrors that they have done or that what people have done to them? How about this? Have you ever had the words of God cut to the very core of your own personal sin? Right? Like the lust that maybe you thought is under control, that would never actually lead to you having adultery with a naked woman on a roof. That lust that you have under control. Well, how do you think God sees that? Or that Porn that you want to watch at night in the quiet of your room when nobody, literally, nobody on earth is ever going to know about. Just one link away, one hashtag away, one swipe away. All the while perpetuating sexual slavery of men and women all around the world. How about Those conversations where you know, oh man, this one's easy. I know I can get a laugh here. And all it's going to take is me stepping on the name of somebody else in this room. Or I know that I can make myself look good here. And all it's going to take is making myself above this person and gossiping about them and slandering them just a little bit. The hypocrisy how we can so easily and readily raise our hands and sing songs of worship here and look different and then be absolutely terrified the moment we leave. Guys, these are things that I and we choose to do even in the knowledge of the holy. The bottom line, friends, is this. That all have sinned. Romans three twenty-three. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have not made it back to God yet. And the bottom line is that not everybody actually cares to face this truth. That's why we have the Word of God. We have the guilt of cosmic treason on our hands, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't ever forget this truth—that we are sinful. That we need to see God for who he is, a perfect, holy, and righteous judge. Because then and only then will we respond to sin like David responds to his sin. But I know what you're asking. What if my sin isn't as bad as this adulterous murderer? (laughs) I haven't done that. Come on. I'm never going to do that. Let's be real. I get it. But this sounds a lot like the hypocrites who hated Jesus, didn't it? You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. But guys, the heart that is close to God is not concerned with how their sin looks compared next to others. The heart that is close to God is concerned only by being next to the holy judge of the universe. (laughs) This is the heart that is broken over evil. This is a heart that cries out, I have sinned. The hypocrite is not just the one who has, um, how do I say this? Not the one who has sinned, but the one who just pretends that they have not sinned. Our silver bullet against tricking ourselves, tricking others, is confession. Agreeing with God about what we have done. Saying, I agree with God about what I have done. That is confession. Getting our sin into the light and out of the darkness our confession that says, I have sinned, and actually, it's worse than I know. I'm sorry, we're going to go in this for just a little bit longer, but it's worse than I know. That's our second facet to this confession, that I have sinned, but it's actually worse than I know. How can he say this? Look at verse 5. He says, that, I was guilty when I was born, sinful when my mom conceived me. What David is saying is that this is not just something he did, He did not just stumble into this and boom, now he is a sinful person. No, this is who I am. I did something horrible, yes, but where did it come from? What soil in my heart produced this wickedness? I am not a generally good person who messed up. I am a sinful being down to my very core. It's in my blood. It's who I am. David's theology here, his doctrine is good. It is. He's not interested in behavioral modification. Right, just making himself a little bit less of a sinner to try and impress God and impress other people. No, he knows the problem is a lot deeper than that. So deep that in verse 10, he pleads, God, you need to create a clean heart for me. <laughs> That's pretty drastic. He needs help, not from the outside in that he can do, but from the inside out that only God can do. This is not a band-aid of do better, try harder. It's a life-altering surgery that we are not qualified to perform. Yes, I have sinned but it's worse than I know because I actually have no idea how deep and painful this sin is to my God. David knows the sin problem he has is deep because notice his pleas. Look at all of these that he says. Be gracious to me, he says. Blot out, wash away, purify me, wash me, turn your face, blot out again, create in me, renew, don't banish me, restore me, sustain me, save me, open my lips in praise. What do all these verbs have in common? They're all done by God, not David. Sin is not something that we can clean because sponges don't cure cancer. Sin is something that is so a part of our blood, so a part of who we are, that it leaves us completely helpless, completely helpless to do what is right, to be made right, and to stand guiltless before God who sees absolutely everything. It's who we are. This is more of a pseudo confession. I'm gonna almost confess this. But yesterday I almost picked up my cat Walked him outside to our front porch. Held him like a football. Hut, hut, hike, and punted him as far as I could. I didn't, but I thought about it. Why? Because he wouldn't shut up. Oh my gosh. He would not stop talking, guys. I'm trying to write this sermon. I'm in the word of God. I'm having a moment with the Lord. And he's like, meow, meow, meow. It's like gets really guttural. I'm like, is he going to throw up or what? I hate it because it just doesn't stop. And so I get on Google and I search, what? Huh? Pretty much, that's, that was pretty much what I Googled. <laughs> and do you know what Google said? If you just kind of like summarize everybody, like put hodgepodge them together, like in a big gumbo and just said like, what is it? You just got a cat, dude. That's why he's meowing so much. He ain't sick. He's not hungry. His litter box is clean. He just is a cat. And the only way to get him to stop meowing is to actually make him not a cat. Even punting him off your porch will not do the trick, guys. And us trying not to sin is like us trying to get a cat to stop meowing, my cat specifically. I can't just make myself not a sinner because that's who I am. Just so you can't make a cat not meow, unless you change them for being a cat. Gosh, that was rough. Anyway, friends, give up trying to clean your act up. Give up trying to clean your act up and instead replace it with a broken heart. It's one thing to be hypocritical and to say I have no sin that I need to confess in my life. But it's a whole other thing to say I can change myself and I can make this treason I have done right again. Both are hypocrisy, both are evil, and both will leave us just as guilty as this murderous adulterer. We all have reputations. And honestly, to be as blunt as possible, you can walk out of here and keep it. But I want to ask, do you have righteousness? You can impress people, but one day nobody will care as you stand before your judge reputation or righteousness, to be impressive or to be known, who will we choose to be tonight? At this point, I'm going to be honest. I'm with you guys. It might feel like you've taken a battering ram to the face. I get it. What's the point? I have sinned. It's worse than I know. Is that true? Absolutely. But is that it? Look at me. Absolutely not. What if, in the midst of sin, that's worse than you know, there is actually mercy? A mercy, a gift, and a healing power that is even better than you know. Hmm? What if? Grab your pen and look at verse 1. Circle the words according to. Every single time I see these words in my Bible, I geek out. I love it. It says, be gracious to me, God. Why? According to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. David knows this, that there's a love even more weighty than the power of his wicked sin. David spills ink and he spills tears in confession because he knows this epic truth of God, salt company, that he can never out sin the grace of God, no matter what. Hallelujah. What David is doing is appealing to a power greater than his sin, the character and the nature and the personality of his God and his grace, this gift that looks at your mess and says he can make it clean again, that looks at your guilt and says he can forgive you, yes, even tonight, that looks at your guilt and takes it away forever. David rightly sees the eternal ramifications of his own evil, but he has a feeling a confidence that he's willing to stake his life on that God's grace could actually be bigger and better. That is why he confesses, why he admits to his wrong, why he agrees with God about what he has done because God and only God can forgive but more than that, he knows God will forgive. All David has to do, all we must do, like it says in verse 17, present our broken and our humbled hearts and that only comes when we see God for who he is and our sin is exposed. But what's more? Is a clean slate enough? Is a million second chances kind of what we preach here? Absolutely not. That ain't biblical. That's wimpy. I said you can never out sin this grace. And that grace is a gift. And so if you're saying, I don't know, I bring a lot of sin tonight, he brings more gifts. This is what he gives you in place of your sin. He takes it, and instead of leaving you empty-handed, verse 7 says he gives you purity. Purity so white, it's whiter than snow. Ain't nothing whiter than snow unless you walk out in the middle of winter in Iowa and bang, your eyes are just knocked back. You're like, that is so bright. Yeah, that's you. That's your soul. Whiter than snow. It says in verse eight and verse 10 that there is something about this joy that cannot be contained. This joy and this gladness that may be even sweeter than the day that you met Jesus for the first time. Oh, that's available even tonight, Christian. Verse 18, that says you will even know the good pleasure of your God. How does that sound? This is the God, the judge, who's not content giving a million second chances because he thinks that's too weak. This is the God, the father, who brings you into his family, wraps you in a hug and says, mine, and he hands you the keys and he gives you his righteousness. Every single thing that he is due is yours, Christian. This is the grace of God that you can never out sin for free. But it wasn't free to God, was it? No, it actually cost God everything. The grace of God incarnate was Jesus on the cross. The cross where David's lofty plea was aimed at from a distance. The only man who did what he actually said every single time. The sinless man choosing to die for me as a sacrifice. A sacrifice whose crimson blood had the power to make us whiter than snow. Explain that to me. Praise God. A sacrifice who took the judge's sentence for us on himself. Explain that to me. Praise God. A sacrifice who is so kind and loving that not he took your badness, but he gave you his goodness. What? That's amazing. Friends, this is the grace of God. Look to Jesus and be saved. Dance in his empty tomb. Celebrate your sins being forgiven tonight. And Christian, when David wrote this, he was a man after God's own heart who became sleepy, if you will. A man who fell into sin very, very slowly, who stopped confessing. And I'm telling you tonight, Saul Company, those who love to follow Jesus never stop your life of confession. Never stop bringing the dark parts of your life into the light with your community because there is no condemnation for those in Christ. And if you miss a few weeks of Salt Company, if you miss a few weeks of D Group and you don't go to your Connection Group for a while and you feel like you have done some things and it's starting to build up, that is the moment that you will see a big pivot in your life and you will have a choice. Do I confess or do I not? And I'm telling you, Jesus responds the same way every single time his arms are open wide let this be a warning guys i have seen a lot of funny charismatic men come through these halls with amazing energy creating good community ramping up the hype train and then fall away from the lord i've seen a lot of cool men lead and impress the masses only to be exposed to their own shame. But I have never seen a confessing man falter. And if he did, he'd probably tell me. (laughs) The gospel is not a guilt trip, friends. It is a loving invitation, not afraid to call sin what it is. Because honestly, what I receive when I bring my broken heart is so much better than what I could ever earn. In my hypocrisy. Oh, man, guys, I want you to know this freedom and this joy so bad. I want you to know this freedom, fresh tonight, that this joy, that this weekend would be just one of, mm, just unmitigated joy and freedom. I'm saying turn to Jesus again tonight. He's here. And personally, I just wanna be so obsessed with this grace. I want to be so obsessed with this grace that even confessing the worst parts about me becomes kind of fun and is my delight. Are you in? Let me pray. Father God, um, you have... been very, very clear to me in my own life um, that I actually need to stop living for smaller joys. That there is nothing on this earth that can satisfy me. That I don't need to be dipping my toes into anything Lord, pretending like I am above confession and walking in holiness. No, no, no. I want to stop. I want to come back to the beginning right now tonight, Lord. I want the joy of my salvation to be restored. Are you kidding me? God, I so desire to be made whiter than snow. And so would you convict my soul? God, would you convict hearts all over this place? Would we not do one lick of outward facing ministry and tell God you have washed us whiter than snow and we would delight in the joy of our salvation, God? So that in verse 13, then we could go and then we can teach the rebellious people your ways. But never before we love this God again. Oh, what great joy there is in this room available tonight. Just right in front of us to take. Lord, would you just help me get over myself? Would you just help us get over our shame and our guilt? And would we run to the throne of gifts, the throne of grace, with tears in our eyes and a smile on our face, Lord? Thank you, Lord. Guys, as we go about this next, uh, just set as we end and kick off into our weekend, I just want to encourage you all. If you are bursting at the seams to confess sin and you're just like, I don't even know how to do that. I'm telling you, it's as stupid simple as it sounds. You tell somebody. You tell somebody and then that person, that loved one, that friend, that person you trust, probably not a stranger on the street, but maybe the person you came to, here with tonight they're just going to tell you what we just told you from the Bible that Jesus loves you and he actually is able and is currently taking your sin from you and replacing it with his holiness and his righteousness that you are his child now you are not a rebel anymore that's their job and so I just encourage you even during these next couple songs stay seated if you want stand up and do your normal thing I don't care there's going to be staff kind of scattered throughout the back I'll be up here in the front Let's just turn this place into a giant altar where we can just confess our sin to the Lord and to one another. And let's see what kind of joy he brings to this house, amen? Amen, let's let's worship.